pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 222. Today I'm going to chat with Gabby Franco, discuss the outcome of the Rittenhouse case, highlight a new modular armor system from Adept Armor, and talk about a dog that lives a life most of us would probably envy. I am your host, Ava Flanell. Gabby, how are you doing? Very good, Ava. How are you? I'm doing well, just getting ready for Thanksgiving. I don't know why I decide to have Thanksgiving at my house. Sometimes I'm like, why do I put myself through this when I could just go to somebody else's <laughs> house and just be done with it? Like make like an appetizer and a dessert and just be done with it. And yet here I am every year, just, you know, Loving sweating away. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. What are you doing for your Thanksgiving? Well, we're going to meet up with some friends here on post and, um, you know, most people are going to be traveling. So it's going to be a a small crowd, but, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's always nice to get together with friends because at least you can choose your friends, you know, family on the other hand. (laughs) So, but. Well, I have to say, I can't wait to see my family at Christmas, you know, yeah, it's one of those things that. You know, I look forward to now that I uh, I live far. Mm-hmm. When we lived in Texas, we lived so close to each other that we were like, okay, we're going to see each other every week. But now it's like, okay, now we're going to see my family and it's going to, I'm, I'm very excited looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, that was one thing when I lived in New York City and my family was in Colorado, it was always difficult coming home. Like it was almost like I had to decide, do I want to come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas? Because by the time it's like yeah. a day of travel and then you only get so many days. And so a lot of times I'd end up staying there for Thanksgiving and then coming home for Christmas. Cause I had more time off, but it was always unfortunate. Like I always hated that I wasn't with family <laughs> and I don't know if I could only go back, I think I would, I would have changed it and just taken the flight, but right, it is what it <laughs> is. But anyways, moving forward, Smith and Wesson, If you guys are looking to up the capacity on your EVC while keeping it discreet and you've been a fan of that shield, you should definitely check out the Shield Plus from Smith & Wesson. It's basically the exact same size as the original shield, except for a slightly thicker grip, which allows the mag to hold more ammo. Instead of seven to eight rounds in the magazine, you get 10 to 13, depending on which magazine you're using. I always go for more ammo. Personally, I think it's better to have it, not need it, than you know, wish that you had more. Plus, on the range, it's, you know, less time reloading. Since the slide's basically the same, your original holster should fit whatever, you know, shield holster you have. So it's kind of nice. Although the new Shield Plus is also optic ready, so you might need to cut it down if you do add that optic. The Shield Plus also has a new trigger, which is way better than the original. I personally think it's a lot better than the expensive Apex trigger upgrade that they had for the original Shield. Like, they did a really good job on the new Shield Plus. And you can get them in 3.1 inches or 4 inches with or without the thumb safety and from the Performance Center uh, with a red dot. So definitely check that out. That's at smith-wesson.com. And check out all the other fantastic guns that they have as well. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. 
Gabby, I'm so excited to have you on. Let's see. I'm trying to think when did we meet in person? It's like there's so many events going on that I'm like, they all start to. I, know. <laughs> I think was uh, this year in April also. Was, the, uh, was it in Minnesota or no, not Minnesota, Missouri? I think it was Missouri. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Missouri. Yeah. And you were a lot of fun to hang out with. You had a lot of really great <laughs> stories which we'll, we'll talk about here shortly, but for listeners who may not be familiar with what it is that you do in the gun industry, can you just kind of give them a little rundown? Sure. You know, uh, most people know me from Top Shot and my participation in two seasons, season four and season five. In season four, I was the uh, only woman who got the farthest in the competition and got a green shirt, which earned my spot to go to the, to the season five, which was only green shirts holders were able to to participate in that competition. But I'm also an Olympian. So I'm actually have been not only shooting per se, but very actively shooting for three quarters of my life. So shooting is part of not necessarily who I am, but is part of my life. Um, I went to the Olympic Games in Sydney 2000. I was Olympic hope for Athens 2004. And won my three gold medals out of four gold medals in my last Olympic shooting competition in Brazil. And that is when I decided to move to the United States. It was a very hard decision, but um, definitely the best one. And, you know, coming to the United States has been a more than a dream come true, has been a real life realization. And, you know, I'm very blessed to work and be around in the farms industry. And, you know, sharing what I know, what I love, but also um, the importance to preserve what I, you know, didn't have in Venezuela, which is the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So you mentioned you're originally from Venezuela. What was it like growing up there? And then how did you end up getting into the shooting sports? You know, Venezuela is not, it was not what most people know today. When you talk about Venezuela, everybody looks at you and like, oh, like, I'm sorry for you, you know, and Venezuela in my time, uh, it was, it was fine. We had food like normal, like even like here we had stores um, in my family. We were not, we we're pretty much in a lower class economically, mm-hmm. um, not quite the middle class, but yet I never felt that I had, you know, that, that my needs were not covered. Mm-hmm. So I really have a, had a happy, um, you know, childhood. Mm-hmm. And my dad, he back then got ownership and having a consult care was allowed. Uh, we're talking about 1990s. And um, my dad went to the gun range to get a class for his, to apply for his concealed carry license. And then he learned that there were a Olympic junior shooting team. And he was like, huh, this is interesting. <laughs> so he he talked to the people, the organizers, and he said, well, you know what? I have three girls at home. Can they join? And they were like, sure. And the funny story is that my older sister, she was shooting first. And my dad kept my younger sister and I pretty much doing dry firing for almost a year or about a year or something like that. And, you know, it was one of those things that I, 
as a kid, you're like, when I'm going to do the real stuff. You yeah. <laughs> so I guess that, that also motivated me a lot to, to be ready, mm-hmm. to be old enough in my mind to, to do what my older sister was doing. So yeah, I was introduced as to, to shooting, but as a sport. And, um, and, and my dad was the one who, you know, brought us to the range. Wow. And how old were you when you started doing this, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, yeah, I was 11. Wow. 11 years old. Yeah. And, and this then- is a funny, this is a funny story because, um, you know, my mom, she would take us to the gun range and my mom and dad obviously support us a lot. And they both take us to competitions and they drive us everywhere they could before before we had any kind of transportation with the team or anything like that. Um, but this, this year I was talking to my mom and, you know, I was always curious, which I never asked it, asked her before, but I did this year. I said, mom, you have shot a gun, right? I'm, I had no recollection in my mind shooting. So, but I figured that she had, and she's like, nope, never. I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, yep. You know, that was not my thing. And, and, you know, we were talking and that gave me an extra level of appreciation for what she did because, you know, even though that was not her thing, even though she pretty much didn't like it, she was not against it. Mm-hmm. She understood the value of my dad being able to have a firearm to protect the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be better if mama would have heard, but well, anyway, you cannot change that. <laughs> the past. And, but even going further, the fact that she supported us so much as, you know, her children, mm-hmm. um, she didn't see it like, uh, oh, no, guns are this or whatever. So I don't want my kids to do that. If my had that, men- had that mentality, I probably would have, wouldn't have gone to the Olympic Games or, you know, be here today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, that is actually really impressive. Do you think that next time you see your mom that you might shoot a gun with her? I think so. I think I'll be fine. Yeah. I think uh, hopefully they'll come not this year, but next year with my dad. And then I'll say, hey, mom, it's time to break. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's going to have a good instructor. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. So, so it's going to be very interesting. I'm curious what happened uh, with your two sisters. Did they continue on shooting or did they sort of lose interest and in you continued or or are they well, still shooting today? Right. My older sister, uh, she ended up going to, to school. I mean, university, she graduated in mechanical, mechanical engineering. My younger sister, then she continued, but again, she was very deep in the university and, and I was also in the university I was studying, but, um, I was doing so great. (laughs) I was dedicating so much time that I was traveling a lot. So I just stick to it, mm-hmm. you know? And by the time I left Venezuela, obviously I left everything, university, sports and everything. So I couldn't continue my my um, higher education. But mm-hmm. both of my other sisters, they loved it. It's just the dedication to the sport is, you know, at that level is super high. Absolutely. I used to train, I used to train Tuesday through Sundays. And Mondays, I didn't train because the range was closed. Um, And I used to train five, six hours a day. So, yeah, it's a very 
demanding lifestyle. And as much as they liked it, you know, some people say, okay, well, yeah, but I don't want to dedicate so much time to that or so on and so forth. So um, they were amazing. They are amazing shooters. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just a level of dedication to be at the level I went to be an Olympian, to to compete constantly uh, in the international arena and, and, you know, be one of those that can possibly be on the podium. It takes a lot of time, effort, and dedication. Yeah, absolutely. Understandably. You were the first woman to represent Venezuela in the Olympics, and this was in uh, 2000, right? Well, not necessarily the first woman to represent Venezuela and to represent the Olympics. The first female shooter Okay. Yes. to represent Venezuela at the Olympics. So we have had amazing Olympians and females and male and different sports. Mm-hmm. And we had only one Olympian before. I don't remember his names, like decades, decades ago, who, who he won a bronze medal in rifle mm-hmm. shooting back in the day. And, uh, and then, I mean, probably was like three or four decades later, it was me the, the first female shooter representing Venezuela at the Olympics. And what was that experience like? My experience at the Olympic Games or becoming an Olympian was surreal. And um, I always thought that Olympians were like superhumans. Who goes to the Olympic Games? Um, but, you know, I'm so blessed that I had an amazing support with my parents and my coaches who always kept me grounded. And to believe in that, the hard work, the training, we're always in the long term or even short term pace off. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being at the Olympics, like that's when I realized, okay, this is for real. Even though I knew I was going to go to the Olympics a year later, I mean, a year earlier when I won my silver medal at the Pan American Games in 1999. But until I was there, until I was in the inauguration uh, ceremony that, you know, I'm walking through this, we are walking on this tunnel to get to the to the stadium, you know, to, to the main center of the stadium. And all you see is flashes and and people screaming and and you are like, oh my God, I am here. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I made it. So it was beyond that a dream come true, I would say. It was like when you realize in your mind that kind of the impossible is possible. Like those things that you thought it were too far, you can still reach them. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a very great perspective in life that um, I carry on today. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I can only imagine. I'm going to take a quick break, talk about primary arms. We have some exciting news. You actually just became sponsored by Primary Arms. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know, they are such an amazing company. We're being in conversations for almost six months. Wow. Yeah, yes, they definitely, true. they're so fun to work with. I really enjoy, you know, everybody over there. They're really nice and just, 
you know, you need anything. I, I was just like text them or email them. <laughs> they get right back to me. And it's just, I don't know. I've really enjoyed working with them. So I'm glad that you're on board. And when I found out, I was really excited. And I was also, I was like, oh yeah, you, you picked a good one. Like she, like, <laughs> I think you're a very impressive, but you also represent oh. women so well. And I Thank don't know. You. So I was just, I was really, really happy to see that you were on board. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Primary arms. What's some of your favorite things about them? Have you had a chance to look at their optics? Yes. I actually have the Holocene and, um, I have, um, uh, one of the scopes and my AR 15, which I'm going to start doing more, uh-huh. um, on next year hopefully when it gets warmer yeah <laughs> up here in virginia but um yes i i loved their, their optic and it was it was to me a, a change a big change they like i said we have been contact for six months and they say gabby we would love you to be one of our you know spokesperson or i would say like a brand ambassador or sponsor shooter and i say i love that i love it in my mind, I want to make sure I love the product. I want to make sure that I, you know, there's a click between the team, between myself, because I see these sponsorships as a relationship. You know, we, we have to be not only like friends, we have to be almost, you know, like family that we can talk at with sincerity. And I say, you know what? I don't like this. Can you change it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can I kind of give you feedback. And at the same time, they, you know, they, they are receptive to feedback and they can also provide feedback to me as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not only what I can give them, but also how much they can, you know, hey, I would love you to do that. What about this and that? And so they are very open to that. They, one of the things I also do when I partner with companies and, and if, I don't know if you noticed, but I don't have that many you know, sponsorships and stuff because for many reasons. But one of the main reasons to me is that I want to build a relationship mm-hmm. and also that the company as you know agrees, I always said agree, the word probably is more like they understand that my second amendment political views are not going to stop. Believe it or not, I have been encountered with in the farms industry with companies say, "Oh, Gabby, we love what you do, da, 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 but ah, the politics, we don't know." And yeah. that's when I say, "That's when I say, you know what? This is when I stop." Mm-hmm. I know <laughs> because, because you have to like kind of the whole package. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? That's always been so weird to me because I personally have also had people turn me away because they were like, "You just you're a little too political for us," and I'm like, "What do you mean I'm too political?" Like. I'm fighting for your right to even have a company. Like right. it's just, it's amazing that firearms related companies don't want you uh-huh. to be political when uh-huh. I'm like, if we're not fighting for it, you guys are not going to exist. Right. And yeah, and so I always found that just crazy. And it's, and that is a game changer for me. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be working with you. Right. I don't, and I don't care. You know what I mean? I, I do believe this is beyond business or anything this is the future for our country this is the future for my son for the new generation so in my in my mind there's no question in primary arms and being so supportive about that like i say hey you know like i'm flat out because i am an open person i don't you know my communication is very open and direct i'm very direct person and i tell them hey you know what 
if I have to support a politician and I believe, you know, because of the Second Amendment, because I am against socialism and all that stuff, that's going to happen. And they're like, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, good. So to me, that is value right there. Absolutely. You know, and and, and that you cannot, uh, there's no no price you can you can put on that. Mm-hmm. People have convictions. A company has convictions. Who knows what is more important, which is the right of the customers and all that stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I was just like, yep, yeah, I like your products. I love your people. I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Guys, when the show comes out, it will be, uh, let's see, what day is it going to be? So right now it is Tuesday, the 23rd. Uh, so there's still plenty of time. Actually, yeah, so the show comes out on the 29th and on the 30th, actually on December 1st, we are drawing a lucky winner. We're doing a giveaway on Gun Funny Podcast Instagram. One of the things we're giving away, so Primary Arms SLX MD uh, 25 Optic, just find that post on, it's at Gun Funny Podcast on Instagram, follow the directions and enter to win. Like I said, we're going to draw a lucky winner on December 1st. As always, if you find any primary arms optics that you like, don't forget to use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, and you're going to get a free one-piece scope mount with every primary arms optic you buy, and that is at primaryarms.com. Let's talk about your experience at Top Shot. I got to know, so like, was the drama <laughs> real or was it manufactured? Because I've dabbled a little bit with reality TV and... It's actually ruined me to watch any quote unquote reality TV because I'm like, it's all fake. I mean, in my experience, <laughs> it's all fake. They come up with things that are going to be problems or you're going to say something, but it's all just manufactured. I'm curious, like, how was it, you know, in Top Shot? Right. So I can only speak for my experience, obviously, on season four and season five. And I would say it was all genuine. You know, and yes, most people say, oh, there's too much drama. And I'm like, okay, listen, first of all, you're putting 16, 16 alpha people together in a house that, you know, they're competitors. They want to win a hundred thousand dollars. And on top of that, you know, you have drama in your home with people that you love, Mm -hmm. your house, you know, your wife, your husband, your children. How cannot you expect drama within people that don't know each other and are super competitive true so there were many things in the show that even us the competitors were like okay go chill out it's not a big deal just just chill <laughs> so, so that had happened mm-hmm. um also you have the personalities who you know they're on tv so they want to over yeah you know yeah they're just they, a little extra right right so you know, all of those things happen. And also, like I tell people, when I signed a contract to go be on top, it clearly said everything that you said, it may be used and put in the way that we want to. Mm-hmm. So uh, those who were always upset and angry, they came out on TV like they were always upset and angry. And I know <laughs> many of them that they were fun and they're super nice people. Yeah. But in that situation, they didn't realize at that moment um, how their you know conversation or the interviews were going to be shown. So, no, um, there was actually the first episode on season four. There was a conflict between Little John and... 
Frank Maloney, almost, almost to the point of fist fight that everybody was like, that's what I'm saying. Everybody was like, okay, dude, we're just starting. Just, yeah. just, just done, right? And I remember in the interview, um, you know, the, pro- the producer sat me aside and they did an interview and they were like, so what do you think about little Don and Frank <laughs> Maloney? And I'm like, well, you know, they just, you know, I, I just, he, the producer kind of tried to ask me about it, but mm-hmm. because I didn't eat his drama, yeah, he just changed the question you know, the questions and we move, move we moved on. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you know, I'm saying it's real, meaning that it's not like the producers didn't try to ask questions that could have continued the drama. But at the end of the day, it was me or whoever, you know, was answered those questions and call to continue, you know, feeding it or just stop it and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I did, mm-hmm. which is smart. It's just, it's just, it was just best. I'm not a drama person, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, they try. <laughs> I can tell them they try. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're also a firearms instructor. When did you become a firearms instructor and what made you want to do that? Woo. So years ago, before everybody knew me about Top Shot, I went through very harsh, harsh, difficult times. Like I always say, it was like, I really hit rock bottom. Uh, My ex-husband turned out to be not such a faithful man. And he left me and a week later, I lost my job. And I was like, you know, devastated, dead. Um. You know, I still have mortgage cards, so many stuff in my head. And like a few months later, I did find a job, a part-time job. But my head was like, even though, even if I can't find a job, what is the thing that I could and I would love to teach or, or, or work with or work in? And, and obviously, all the time, I gravitated to shooting. And back then I used to shoot with um, tactical guys and I used to do this weekly training and great, nice people. And I remember one of the instructors, he was, he was very, you know, serious and kind of tough and all that stuff. He, when I told him that, you know what, I'm going to become a, when I become a pharmacy instructor, he looked at me and which was very disappointed, but he looked at me and said, what, you don't have any military or law enforcement experience hmm. what do you what do you think you can teach people and this is back when we're talking about 2006 when you know women in farms industry was not that big mm-hmm. yeah 2006 no i'm sorry i'm talking about 2010 about 2010 when uh the boom of women in farms industry and there were not that many of them. Mm-hmm. and and even though it was disappointing to me i in my mind i thought well First of all, I went to the Olympic Games in shooting. So I know one or two things about shooting. Yeah. There's one or two things I can teach people. And I'm sure um, those I can teach, uh, they can benefit from it. And so um, that it was my, believe it or not, instead of discouraging me, it was one of my motivators. And I just, I just said, okay, I'm going to start doing this. And I started promoting classes. And, oh, my God, I ended up having not only a lot of students because I 
I started doing just private classes, so one-on-one class. I had students who come to my classes weekly who call me Gabby weekly because they were seeing so many good results. They were seeing some, so, I mean, very amazing, you know, positive results. Mm-hmm. Because when I teach, I don't just teach the shooting techniques. I dabble into the psychological part aspect that I learned as an Olympic shooter. So, you know, you're not only teaching the body, but also teaching the mind. Mm -hmm. And you combine those two. And obviously the learning experience becomes more, uh, becomes stronger and obviously long lasting too. And what would you say is some of the psychological stuff that you teach, which I think is extremely important and it typically isn't taught in most classes. Like I, I mean, I'll teach it sometimes, you know, in my concealed carry classes, you know, just sort of that mindset of like, you know, that fighter mindset, but, or survival mindset. But for the most part, I don't even, you know, really touch upon it as much as I should. Right. So I don't actually talk about necessarily anything about that. I talk about, um, you know, Mike, when I used to train as an Olympic shooter, I had a coach seven, I mean, six days a week with me for those six, five or six hours of training. And we didn't move, the target didn't move. And for and, and this happened for about 10 years. So it's amazing how the mind wanders around and it's like a big trickster. Um, and so you have to understand what you see, what you perceive um, and understand that not everything that you see, you know, is in your mind, it's real. Or to give an example, when we aim at a target, right? And most people take have a hard time to hitting the bullseye because they just kind of chasing the bullseye. They are trying to wait to the gun to stop or something like that. But the reality is it's just a perception in between distance and movement. So when you compare something that is fixed, the target, against something that is moving, the the gun, because you are holding it, you're a human being and you have movement. So the movement seems like it's magnified. On top of that, you have the perception aspect aspect that the, the bullseye or the target looks a lot smaller than the sights. And so you, you add that to that movement and you it feels like, oh my God, my gun moves a lot, but it's just a perception part of it. And so I kind of tackle into what is a reality and what they see and trust the reality of things, meaning the target is not that small, the sights are not that big and your movement's not that magnified. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, I talk about different ways to tackle anticipation and the different aspects of anticipation. I see anticipation probably in a different way than most people see it. People think about anticipation as a one thing. I think it's a, a, a one thing with a lot of different elements that you have to understand how and how, and how to identify those elements so you can tackle them according to, um, for, for example, to give an example, when you're sick, right, you go to the doctor and you tell the doctor, I am sick. And the doctor said, okay, great. Tell me where, you know, what, where is the pain? What do you feel? And you kept, you just kept saying, I am sick. I am sick. So the same thing I see when people tell me I'm anticipating or I hear instructors say, oh, you're anticipating. But wh- what is it? 
you know, what kind of anticipation it is. So that's kind of the kind of stuff I teach my students. Um, and I love when I have students who have fears because I dabble into a more deep um, aspect of psychological part of it mm-hmm. uh, and how to overcome that fear through um, messaging, uh, understanding the reality of what's happening and self-control. So you know, all those things that makes the experience uh, very fulfilling for the student, but long lasting as well. Because one thing I tell my students, I, as much as I want to teach you and train you every week or whatever, my satisfaction comes when you learn to identify the problems so we can discuss it and I can help you even more. Because I have students who say, you tell them, oh, you have to look at the front side. And they say, I am looking at the front side. I am pulling this, the, the trigger like this. And often they are not aware of exactly of what's happening. They are just doing things automatically. And I am not behind the gun. I cannot see through their, their eyes. I cannot feel through their fingers. So if they are not aware, so again, I make them more aware. If they are not aware of everything that they are doing, it's very difficult for me to teach them effectively mm-hmm. or for them to improve uh, drastically. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned psychology. You're actually going to school right now to get a degree in psychology. What are you hoping to do with that once you graduate? Well, I am about to get, hopefully, uh, that's my the goal next year about this time. Uh, I should graduate and get my bachelor's and then go to the PhD, uh, which seems like another endeavor. Uh-huh. <laughs> endeavor. But um, my main goal is I would love to work as a space psychology psychologist. Uh-huh. Um, I would love to work in space programs um, and hopefully help humans reach different planets. <laughs> But in between that journey, um, I do what I do, which is help shooters and do my seminars and, you know, teach what I, what I've learned and I apply Mm -hmm. and I love that. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. It's almost like nothing is, you know, too far for you to accomplish. You know, this is a funny thing because I always tell people this. Yeah, when they ask, so what are you going to do with psychology? I'm like, well, I'm going to be a space psychologist and all that stuff. And the other day, my husband was on the phone with his brother and he was telling my brother-in-law, you know, my you know, my goals and stuff like that. And I was on in, in the room playing with my son. And the interesting thing is I'm always the messenger. I always tell people what I want to do. I never, I'm never in the receiving end. Mm -hmm. So listening to my husband, my goals, I was like, damn, (laughs) I am set to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But but I am a true believer. I am a true believer, like I said earlier with the Olympic Games. I'm a true believer of having high goals set up in my mind and be flexible. Meaning I don't know what the future holds, right? And even though that's my goal, I don't know. You know, if they're going to have openings then or if that's going to be a job available then or not, because it's it's something I enjoy thinking and believing I can do it. My journey, it's I mean, I'm always when I study, I'm like 
oh my God, I love learning this. And I love learning that because it's, it's more than a passion. It's like, I love the learning process. I love the journey. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's just that it's loving and enjoying the journey, knowing that it's the possibilities always there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about IWI. If you guys are looking for a compact shotgun that still holds a lot of ammo, definitely check out that TS-12 from IWI. I've got one. It's a ton of fun. It's a bullpup design. So the entire gun is just over 28 inches long with an 18.5 inch barrel. It's got three rotating tubes that each hold five rounds of two, three quarter shells. More if you've got the mini shells, which I'm ha- I've been having a hard time finding story of my life. It's got a full length rail on top, M-lock attachment points for accessories. It's compatible with Benelli choke tubes if you want to change those out or run a suppressor. Definitely check it out. That's IWI.us. If you need accessories, use that code GUNFUNNY15, all one word. That's going to get you 15% off. And again, that is at IWI.us. Let's talk about some of the shooting sports that you do. And at what point did you get started doing that? Well, I guess... I guess that's what essentially you were doing in Venezuela, right? You were doing all the competition shooting and stuff. Yeah, well, Olympic shooting is different than what I do now, which is, you know, practical shooting or USPSA. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's quite different. Well, very different, I should yeah. say. But um, I, here I started USPSA um around 2009 2010 um it was like a very good getaway for me for my mind especially going through those difficult times yeah um it was funny because you know i didn't have a job and i uh i was having financial you know issues but i at least i tried to go and compete at least once a month you mm-hmm. know they had weekly meetings uh and stuff like that but i always thought at least once a month that i know i can you know liberate my mind it was more lifesaver than anything (laughs) yeah i can only imagine but yeah i and, and 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 i loved it because during that hard time and going to the range it was liberating not only the shooting itself but the people you know, they were always there to help me. They knew what I was going through for many different reasons, but uh, they were always willing to help me to offer, you know, uh, with everything. And and not only to me, it was something I saw between themselves. Like I saw the camaraderie between shooters and, you know, the friendship, Hey, you know, we're going to go and have a cookout this weekend. Who wants to come and stuff like that. So it's almost like you feel it. I fell in love with, with, with that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, attracted me every month to go to the match, no matter what. I mean, I'd, ra- I'd rather, you know, uh, you know, stop buying certain stuff, but I make sure that I, could go to my monthly match. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Then at what point did you become sponsored by like Walther and some of the other big companies that you're involved with? Um, it, uh, it, everything happened after Top Shot and not right away. You know, most people would think, oh, you went on Top Shot and everybody 
come to sponsor you know it didn't happen like that um my first sponsor was para ordinance and which then was remington and i was still with all the struggles with remington that kind of ended and then came on walther uh so it has been a great you know learning experience for me at first i didn't know how everything works and and how to make it uh beneficial for me and for my sponsors. Um, so it, it has, I have grown into that point, like I was telling you earlier, that I am very committed to them and very committed to their success as much as they are committed to mine. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes me always think on having fewer companies that I support that I can dedicate my time to them and, and be committed to them. And, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This year you've been filming the American Air Gunner Challenge. <laughs> yes. Tell me a little bit about that. How's that been going? Oh my God, that that was so much fun. It was great. Um, I love it, it. I didn't realize that air guns were like a parallel world yeah. from the shooting world that I live in. I was like, what? Do you actually shoot air guns at 150 yards? 200 yards. I never imagined that was possible. You know, mm-hmm. I used to shoot air guns, but only 10 meters. Yeah. So now when you put 50, 100, 150 yards and you can't even hunt with these guns, it was a whole different animal. Uh, it, it, it was fun uh, filming the air guns challenge. It definitely challenged me physically and mentally because I was the least prepared shooter of the bunch, you know, they're all rifle shooters. They were all rifle shooters. And I am almost exclusively a pistol shooter. Um, but at the same time, that you know, that spirit of in, in the shooting community, it goes across disciplines. Like despite I didn't know how to load the load these different guns and or how to you know, the gas, how to put the gas and how to make sure um, to load or fill in the tanks and all that stuff. All the competitors, they were helping me. So Gabby, this is how you do it. This is how you have to do the pellets and so on and so forth. This is how you have to insert the, the, the little round magazine in the gun. Um, so, you know, they were so very mindful of that, you know, even though we're competitors, but it's bad when you compete with people if they're not their best. So mm-hmm. they definitely make sure I was at least having the most important knowledge. And so I could compete to, to the best of my abilities. And I love that. Mm-hmm. So it was a learning experience at every single level. And, and yeah, great, great experience. Nice. You also wrote a book called Troubleshooting, Mastering Your Pistol Markmanship which is really impressive, especially to write a book about that. You know, to me, teaching is more than just teaching. Like I'm, like I was telling you earlier, I want want students to, to be empowered by it. And you cannot be empowered if you are relying on other people. You know, if you cannot be independent, if you are relying on other people, that doesn't mean that people just need training. They do, they do, but they have, to be empowered to know and learn to uh, be aware of their mistakes and be aware of what they're doing so uh, instructors can help them better. So that was pretty much my, my book. I wanted to be to be a manual more than 
a book per se. I want it to be a manual that people go to the range and say, hey, you know, I'm having this issue. What could it be? And so they can go to the manual and say, well, here are some possible things, mm -hmm. some possible issues that you may be doing. And on top of that, here is the way uh, or uh, an effective way of how to do things. I'm not going to say the only way, but I would say the, mo the very effective way how to do things, how to align your sites. Uh, I, I make some exercises, analogies. I love analogies um, that people can relate to, to understand, oh, you know, this is close, this is far, this is how I need to look at it. So um, I really had a great time and I'm very passionate about it. Um, and I know more books are going to come in the, in the future. Not right now. Well, I'm doing my courses and my yeah. classes. <laughs> Hopefully in the future, I'll write something about like my seminar, the mental dynamics of target shooting, mm -hmm. which I'm very passionate about. And, you know, hopefully, you know, keep helping more people enjoying the sport and yeah. shooting their best. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Awesome. So is there any future plans that you can tell us about? Well, right now, just like I say, graduating from my uh, degree in psychology, pursuing my PhD and sports, you know, com competing, doing my best. There's something I've been thinking about. And I, again, I'm going to say it out loud because if you don't, I am the true believer, I have to think, say things out loud for them mm -hmm. to come and, and happen. I want to uh, do my seminars and and help um, nonprofit organizations, especially to vet veterans. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm, you know, in the books, trying to make that happen. And hopefully it's going to be soon. Yeah, I love that. If listeners want to follow you on social media, or if you have a website, what is that? Well, they can go to GabbyFranco.com. They can go to my Instagram. It's GabbyFranco, T-S-T, like top. As like shot top shot four the number four and facebook is the same thing gabby franco top shot and yeah they just can type on google there gabby franco and i'm sure i'm gonna appear somewhere <laughs> okay perfect all right well i know you can't stay with us for the whole show uh so i appreciate your time and appreciate everything that you do you're doing a fantastic job really excited to have you with primary arms and hopefully we can I mean, I'm sure that I'm going to see you again, you know, very soon. Yes. Yeah. Really looking forward to that. And if you ever need anything, don't hesitate to ask or anything like that. But yeah, like I said, thank you so much for your time and guys definitely go give Gabby a follow. And on that note, we're going to move on with the rest of the show. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here with you. Very, uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Joining me for the rest of the show is John Snow. John Snow, welcome back. Thank you. Before we get into things, talk about Caldwell real quick. One of the things Caldwell is most known for is their shooting rests like their lead sled. And I've mentioned these before. They've got a new one I hadn't seen before called the Hydro Sled, which is the same idea, but it's a lot lighter to carry to the range since you don't have to pack all that lead. It's got a two-gallon tank built into it that you can fill up when you get to the range with water, sand, pebbles, whatever you feel like. Otherwise, it works the same way as the normal sled. It's got a cradle to hold the butt in front of the rifle, 
and absorb all that recoil when eliminating movement. They're great if you want to get that perfect zero on a gun, especially if it's a heavier recoiling gun since it soaks up that recoil. These are on sale right now for just $237.96. Remember, if this is your first order, though, use the code GUNFUNNY10, and that is going to get you 10% off, and that is at CaldwellShooting.com. Today in politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. We're going to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse, which at this point, it seems like it happened kind of a little while ago, just because, you know, holidays and stuff like that. But this was just last week. He was acquitted. John, do you want to go into details as to exactly what happened? Yeah, this case ended up being. If anybody who was actually watching it versus seeing what was portrayed on the media, two very stark, different things. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. No, no surprise whatsoever. As, I mean, as we saw from the very beginning of this case, the mainstream media portrayed him and not just mainstream media, Joe Biden, they all called him a white supremacist, a racist. They made it out like he was in the streets shooting black people at these peaceful protests, except nothing peaceful is about them. You know, they were burning down his town. They tried to make it out that it wasn't his town. He shouldn't have even been there. Fact is part of his family lives there. He works there as a lifeguard. The gas station that some of the rioters tried to burn down earlier in the day. And he saved from, they tried rolling a burning dumpster into the gas station to set it on fire. He saved that from being burning. That was owned by his grandparents. So the media tried to portray it that he had no justification whatsoever for being there, except it was his town. Mm-hmm. And uh, there they was, tried to portray there was actually, so many things. Yeah, there was like a lot of misconceptions. And people were saying that he had the gun illegally, uh, that he was only 17, which... It's also funny because a lot of people don't realize that, like, maybe depending on, like, what the laws are in your state, it doesn't mean that that's nationwide. Exactly. So the law in Wisconsin permits a rifle to be carried by someone who is only 17. So he was not in violation of the law there. The rifle never crossed state lines. So there were technicalities involved, of course, because of you know, it's home state of Illinois, but no laws were actually broken on his part. And in spite of everything that the media tried to portray him as it was proven in court not to be the case. Mm-hmm. And of course, most of us in the second amendment world who pay attention to anything, we already knew all those facts. They were there from the beginning to see as were you know, the video footage of each of the encounters. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we all saw them within hours of the events of that day and knew that this was clear cut self-defense. He yeah. should never have been charged to begin with, but they wanted to make him a scapegoat. Yeah. And so many of the media outfits, their portrayals were so out there and just so wrong to the point where it it really was lying on their part. They knew better. They knew what they were saying was false. 
And so he's got a very credible case for slander and defamation against a whole lot of people, including President Biden, Mm -hmm. because of the things that have been said about him and the manipulation that they tried to make of his trial. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the trial a little bit, which was actually... I mean, it's really nothing to laugh about, but, you know, I felt bad for Kyle the whole time. But I mean, talk about like <laughs> the prosecution was laughable. Oh, it Absolutely. was it was like cringeworthy. Yeah. The prosecuting attorney, Thomas Binger, the prosecuting attorney, he's the assistant district attorney there. Normally, a case this high profile would be prosecuted by the district attorney, not the assistant district attorney. That guy didn't want anything to do with it because he knew they were going to lose. So he gave it to the assistant district attorney. And this guy, I can't imagine how some of the things that he said, he knew, had to have known that he was wrong on on these points because there's no way he could have done any research whatsoever and known that the points he was trying to push were wrong. I mean, okay. So let's talk about some of those examples. Yeah. So one, one of those, he tried talking to Kyle during the trial and asking him about the purpose of hollow point bullets versus full metal jacket and saying that the purpose of hollow point bullets is to explode once they hit somebody correct and kyle is sitting there just with this incredulous look on his face uh no no that's not how they work and so many instances of of things like that where the guy asked these questions pointed driving questions at people to make it sound like they're going one way and he was just completely wrong and even his witnesses on the stand, his witnesses would be like, uh, no, that's mm-hmm. not true. Yeah. Like, so the, let's talk star, about the his defense star witness. Uh-huh. The prosecutor's star witness was the guy that had his biceps shot by Kyle. That guy, Greg Grosskreitz. This is the guy that right after Kyle had been attacked with the skateboard and he shot that guy. This guy had come up to him with a pistol in his hand. Well, in his testimony, he made it out that he was just this medic, that he was there to help. He thought that Kyle was an active shooter. And then the thing was, when the defense attorney, so the defense attorney did a really good job with this guy, Corey Scher. Chirafisi? I have no idea how to say that one. Yeah. But the defense attorney questioning this star witness of the prosecution said, so when you were standing three to five feet from him with your arms up in the air, he never pointed his gun at you, never fired. Wasn't until you pointed your gun at him and advanced on him with your gun in your hands, pointed at his head that he fired, right? And the guy just kind of sat there in the chair and after a long pause said, correct. And there was just this whole string of things there where he had tried to make it out that he was the one who was attacked. He was not an aggressor. 
And every single one of the points he had to respond correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you didn't see any of that in the mainstream media, but the footage was there because things were live streamed. Although there were a couple of times when the live stream got shut down. So it was, it was kind of uh, interesting, the timing of some of those, when the live streaming got shut down, people mm -hmm. were wondering if YouTube was playing some games on some of that. And they still continue to play games, banning pictures and things where people are talking about how Kyle did nothing wrong and he was acquitted. Yeah. So which is just, is it's amazing. Cause I even have some people on my Facebook that are just like, so explain to me how this kid got off free. And yeah. it's just, ugh, I'm like, ugh, now I know how to unfriend. Cause it's, I've reached a point in my life where I'm like, I'm just tired and I don't have patience to explain the, like, just the clear the facts. right of self-defense and looking at clear facts. I yeah. mean, the facts are there. If you want to look there, there, they've been there for over yeah. a year now. Let's talk about what's going to happen to Kyle now. So I know he was offered at least two internships with congressmen. And yep. I would assume that he'll likely get settlements for, you know, defamation lawsuits. And then I think it was even his lawyer that I heard that said, you know, he's better off just changing his name and trying to, you know, live a totally different life, which I wouldn't disagree with. I mean, at this point, you know, his face is pretty recognizable. It's been all over the media. It's been slandered. And I feel bad for him trying to have like a normal life moving forward. But I do hope that he does sue the media and, you know, Biden and all them and, and does actually get quite a bit of money because he definitely deserves it. I feel really bad for this kid. Yeah. Ultimately, though, very good case I still stand by the fact that I don't think he should have been there. That's really where he screwed up is, you know, as a firearms instructor and somebody who's always teaching concealed carry classes. I'm like, if you could avoid it, just freaking avoid it. I know he, you know, he had his foot in the game because it was his town. It's like where he grew up and stuff and he wanted to protect it. But I don't know. Sometimes it's like you're walking around with an AR some people have had that same thing, you know, where women are dressed half naked and they're like, well, she deserved to get raped. But again, if you could just not bring, you know, attention to yourself, it's definitely better than doing the opposite. That's how I feel. I'm sure people will disagree with me. I would just say moving forward, you know, I mean, we all want to be like the hero and try to, you know, make things right. And sometimes it's like you got to pick and choose your battles because even though Kyle was lucky to get out of this because I don't think that the law works in favor of the law abiding citizen. It's so just so many gray areas now and just so many people who are corrupt that you're just, you're really, I mean, even if you were doing the right thing, it's still, it's like so iffy as to if you're going to get charged yeah. or not. So I would just say well, if you can moving forward, just avoid it. Well, and you're putting yourself at the mercy of a jury of your peers. Exactly. Which when everybody is so manipulated by the media and the facts that when you have the president of the United States calling the kid a white supremacist, that just shows how divided we are. And mm -hmm. you're, you're going to be judged likely by some of those people. So yeah, there's absolutely nothing that guarantees you will get a fair trial. I was quite worried that he wouldn't. Because CNN, for example, was having their reporters follow the bus of the jurors to try and get pictures of them. And they got actually barred from being in the courtroom at one point because they were trying to expose who the jurors were. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I do agree on Kyle. I mean, I mean, it's so hard to say. I'm sure he wasn't there. Yeah. And at the same time, I do understand wanting to save your town from all these people that those people had no business whatsoever being there. I mean, every, every one of the people that he encountered, they were from, you know, 60, 80 or more miles away. Mm-hmm. And of course, then there's the point that, okay, the, the one guy that instigated everything, tried to attack him first was a, was a multiple time pedophile. Yeah. And so, so many things the left is defending scumbags that rape and beat women and vilifying people that just want to stand up for their community. So it's, it's a very hard thing to be in. He's definitely got a case for defamation against multiple media outlets. And mm-hmm. I definitely think he'll get something there. Yep. But the other part is he's a really traumatized kid out of this too. One of, one of the things they made fun of him in the media. Oh for yeah. No, they totally did. Stand, but it was obvious to me that that kid is struggling with what he went through. Well, I mean, and he's still young. I mean, the kid's like 17, exactly. 18 years old, like give him a break, you know? So yeah. yeah, I totally get it. But all right, enough talking about it. I mean, I think everything that we've discussed is what most of our listeners already know. So no sense in, you know, beating a dead horse. Moving forward, Manicore Arms. I talked earlier about the TS-12 from IWI. Manticore Arms makes some essential upgrades for it. Their signature curved butt pad for the Tavor series is a must. It conforms the shoulder better so that it doesn't slide around and lets it, you know, ride up as you're shooting it. It's super easy to install, too. All you do is literally just push a button like I installed it. So, you know, it's easy. But you push a button in with a tool or a bullet, slide it out, put the new one on, bam. They also have the knurled charging handle for a little bit bigger gripping surface so that you don't rack your knuckles on the receiver, which you do it once. You don't want to do it again. And then to top it off, the TS-12 muzzle brake to reduce recoil. And you can still use chokes with the muzzle brake. So definitely check all that out. Manicorearms.com. Remember to use the code AVARocks15. It's all one word, AVARocks15, and you'll get 15% off. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question is how often should I replace my hollow point ammo in my EDC? That's actually a really good question because I don't think a lot of people do. Personally, I would say, I mean, ammo doesn't go bad, but think about, you know, if you're constantly carrying it, it's exposed to elements. Even if you have an extra mag, you know, there's like lint and stuff getting in there. I rotate my ammo pretty often. And that's just because I'll bring, you know, my EDC to the range, shoot it with, you know, FMJs, and then get back, clean it, and load it with the same hollow points. And so the hollow points kind of get a cleaning too, if there is any sort of like lint or something. I'd also wonder, I mean, I'm not a sweaty person, but I'd also wonder for those who like sweat a lot, if that would cause issues, but I don't know. What would you say, John? Yeah. I mean, ammo that's on you, especially if, you know, inside your clothing, it's subject to definitely higher moisture content. Even if you're not sweating a lot, it is higher moisture. It is warmer. So it's definitely conditions that can cause it to age a little bit more prematurely. I try to every six months or so 
cycle mine out, but sometimes it goes a little bit longer than that, a year or so. I've never had a problem with any of them, but I have known people that if they've let it go longer than that, they have had some rounds not go off. So hmm. it's definitely worth it, especially from the side that too many people, when they buy ammo for their everyday carry, they don't ever actually even fire it. So they don't know if it actually cycles in their gun. Yeah. So, which definitely do that. I teach that in my classes because you don't know. I mean, certain brands are finicky with certain types of guns and models and stuff like that. So definitely make sure that it's going to fire. I fire like 10, 20 rounds at least. And then I guess you're not losing anything by letting it cycle every six months to a year. There's that. All right. Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Adept Armor announces new Storm Armor System. There's been a lot of advances in body armor over the last few years, making it lighter and offering a better protection, but Adept Armor has just announced something new. Their new Storm Body Armor System is a modular plate system so that you can change the protection level based on your needs. The foundation plate is only 2.44 pounds of ultra-high molecular weight polylithrane, which is about half a pound less than the similar the UHMPWE plates and provides level three protection. They have a titanium plate that on its own is 3A and suitable as a stab plate paired with the foundation is three plus while only adding 3.3 pounds. What do you think? Have you, I actually, I didn't even know that this was out until I just read it on here. Actually, (laughs) have you had a chance to look at it? Yeah, it looks like pretty cool setup. This is one of the things about armor that's always been, you know, you buy these expensive, you know, if you're looking at a level four plate, for example, you buy this expensive multi-layer, but it's all built into one unit and the surface of it is ceramic. Well, Mm -hmm. if it ever takes a hit, you need to replace it because that ceramic can cause, you know, even if there's some of the more advanced designs they have different sections in the surface so that the cracks won't spread throughout the entire thing. You still have to replace the whole plate ideally because that plate is now compromised somewhat in terms of how much it will protect from fall on rounds at that point. With this, you can just replace that outer plate because the plates are built very thinly. They don't have a whole bunch of other stuff on them. And so that foundation plate at the back that is your main protection. And then whatever the strike surface needs to be, if you're going up against level four or, or level three, you have that titanium plate or the disruptor plate, which is the ceramic one. And you just slide whichever one you want into the carrier for whatever the mission is. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool that way. You know, what's kind of nice is the price on this. So the foundation plate runs $325 and the titanium is 350 the disruptor is 265, which I mean, that actually isn't bad compared to what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, armor is expensive, especially when you go with lightweight armor. Yeah. And this is definitely in the lightweight category. So, yeah, you see $100 plates out there on sale sometimes for individual plates, but they're heavier plates. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, when, they're the when kind of. You're buying that- armor, you're buying weight savings. 
difference yeah. in the price. So yeah, yeah. I mean, for its class, I actually don't think that it's priced bad. No, no. So. And and being able to replace a, the strike surface if you need to mm-hmm. is a big plus because then you only have one plate, one small price to pay to replace that mm-hmm. in comparison to the entire plate. Yeah. I guess I'll see if there's any YouTube videos that come out as far as like testing it and stuff like that. Or maybe there's, you know, maybe they already have it out there, but that is Adept Armor. So if you guys want to check that out, head on over, I guess, to their website. GSM Outdoors. If you're like me, when you go to the range, I have a lot of stuff. It's always been a pain to pack all the gun cases and bags, especially because if you're recording content, you can't just go to the range and just shoot. You're like, well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well record content. GPS bags makes it easy, though. They have a ton of bags designed to optimize carrying your guns and gear so that instead of carrying like 10 bags, you can minimize it down to like two or three. All their bags are designed to be super efficient and fitting the most guns and gear in them. They've got pistol cases, rifle cases, range backpacks, tons of different bags, depending on what you've got. They've got a rolling range backpack that holds four pistols with tons of space. They've got a line of discrete cases like a shaving bag with a built-in pistol pouch. So if you're traveling, it's also kind of nice. Definitely check all of that out at GoOutdoorsProducts.com. And remember to use the code GUNFUNNY20, and that's going to get you 20% off. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as Never mind. AF. Today in the AF segment, the pooch decides to sell his villa. Gunther, a German shepherd, just recently met with his real estate agent about selling his Miami mansion that was previously owned by Madonna. He was underdressed wearing only his fake diamond dog collar for the meeting since his real gold collar is back at his villa in Tuscany. But he's looking to get $31 million for his Miami villa that was purchased two decades ago from Madonna for $7.5 million. Man, it's crazy how things have gone up. You might say two decades, that's pretty old for a German Shepherd, and you'd be correct. Gunther VI is the fourth dog to own the property. You might think this is a completely crazy, and yes, it is. Back in 1992, German Countess Carlotta Liebenstein died and left a multi-million dollar trust to her dog Gunther III and his succession of pups. Since then, a group of handlers have maintained a jet-setting lifestyle for the life of the dogs. Gunther regularly goes to Milan and the Bahamas where he dines at restaurants every evening. A chef cooks him breakfast every morning with the finest meats and vegetables. You know, you can imagine he's never had kibble. He travels by private jet. He sleeps in Madonna's former master bedroom on velvet sheets. Gunther's trust is currently worth $500 million and has even managed sports teams. The only question is, how do I get tickles adopted by Gunther? This sounds like a pretty nice lifestyle. And honestly, I mean, yeah, it sounds weird. I don't really hate this story, though, because I love animals and I think they deserve, you know, a great life. Anything to add to that, John? Yeah, I'd like to be adopted by him, too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. We'll do worse things with their money. Yeah, that's true, actually. So at least this actually goes to a good cause, you know, giving dogs a good life. Like, yeah, I'm not going to complain. 
iTunes review. So 22 Cheapster never gets old five stars. Listen to Ava for years. Always look forward to the day a new episode drops on a weekly basis. Ava questions her guests in a way that lets them be themselves and share their reality in the firearms community comfortably. Just listen to the episode with one of the founders of Gemtech. Every episode reveals a clear point of view or unknown fact about the firearms industry. This is one of several podcasts I listen to that never gets old. Tickles doesn't carry a firearm to protect herself. She carries a firearm to level the playing field in her enemy's favor. <laughs> and second is B. Fleshner 13. Here's some love from Nebraska. Five stars. I finished this podcast in two weeks. Very addicting and made my work nights fly by. Thanks for having such an engaging show. Now I'm just waiting for more. Do you think that he listened to all of the episodes in two weeks? That's what I was wondering. That's pretty impressive if he did. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I'll be honest, when I teach classes and I always ask my students, like, all right, do you guys need a break? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. I need a break. Because sometimes I'm so tired of hearing my voice. (laughs) And then I'm like, I just I just need to regroup for a second. So I would think I'd get really tired of hearing my voice if I listened to every episode in two weeks. I don't know. That's I mean, but that's devotion. So, all right, John, I'm going to have you pick a winner since uh, Gabby is not with us right now. I think we got to go with the guy who listened to everything in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's that's dedication. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So contact me at gunfunny.com. Click on the contact us form and send me an address to send the prize pack to. If you guys want to become a patron, you enjoy the show and you'd like to donate you should consider becoming a patron or you could even make a one-time donation at gunfunny.com. Just scroll down and find the support the show link that automatically enters you into a giveaway that blown deadline does every month. So it gives away $300 to a lucky patron to get an awesome Cerakote job. Also $5 and up patrons, they get a patron only patch after three months of becoming a patron and it'll never be for sale. Also want to thank the $25 patrons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guy, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, and Melissa Ridings. King of the Patreon, Jon Snow. He wants me to say the Operator Tickles was almost in the movie Mission Impossible, but they would have had to change the name to Mission Accomplished. And like I said, Gabby, so she's not with us right now, but hats off to Gabby. Really appreciate her joining us. John, thanks again for joining me for the rest of the half of the show. It's always nice to have somebody here to talk to. So I'm not just talking to myself. And on that note, when this comes out, you guys have already enjoyed Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. And I hate to say it, but I hope you're ready to buckle down because Christmas is right around the corner. On that note, we are out of here. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.